Hey, everybody out there. This is John. Just letting everybody know that the guys are taking uh, the 4th of July week off. So we're going to go ahead and play an episode from way in the past. We're going to go back to episode number two, Electrifying Cars, where we discuss Tesla. Keep in mind, this is an almost two-year-old episode. We'll be revisiting Tesla within the next few weeks on the show. So we thought this would be a nice time to kind of see what our thoughts were a couple of years ago where we thought the company was going. I hope you enjoy, and we'll see you next week with a new show from a owner of a car company. Hope everybody has a great fourth. Talk to you next week. Get ready to strap in for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view of the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. So we're all back again this week, ready to chat about a few things. How are you doing tonight, Will and Derek? Doing good. I have nothing to complain about. I've always been told that it doesn't really do any good to complain anyway, so... We've been chatting and trying to figure out what we need to chat with you guys about tonight. We're looking at the uh, electric car industry. We're just kind of thinking, you know, we, that plays way back into the old, uh, I guess, electric cars, one of the earliest forms of transportation. And then how they've integrated through the 70s with wonderful little city cars and that even made an appearance on one of the uh, Discovery Channel shows and such. And whatever the technology is, and then possibly... What Will could maybe even do with a, an electric car and where that goes. Personally, I've always kind of been into the electric vehicles. I'd like to have an old Bradley GT2 electric or Bradley GT electric or even one of the city cars that's play, played around. I went and looked at a, a Volt, which is, you know, a nice mix of a hybrid gas, gas electric, so I don't ever have to worry about walking. Um, just kind of played with the ideas of any, either one of you really considered an electric car, know anything about them or. Oh yeah. I, I, you know, this is, uh, Derek and of course, you know, uh, I'd, I'd love to have an early, you know, Riker electric or Baker electric or Rauch and Lang. Yeah. Any of the early ones for me, um, obviously wouldn't be going fast or going far, uh, but. I, I think they're a lot of fun, driven a lot of them uh, so far in my career, and, and have a blast with them. I actually uh, I actually owned one of the Chrysler Gym cars one time, and uh, honestly, it was the biggest piece of crap I've ever owned. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when it was right, it, it, was, it was a blast. I mean, we would take it to Pigeon Forge and, you know, drive it up and down the street and... Um, but it was just very, very expensive to work on. And, um, I mean, we bought it because we got a, a really good tax break back then. Um, but we did, we had it a couple of years and then, you know, it just was so expensive to work on. We, uh, we got rid of it. What type of car was that again, Will? I, I'm familiar with a lot of things, but I don't know if I heard you wrong or wh- what was that? Chrysler made them and they were called the GM, J, uh, G-E-M. And they were basically like a bigger golf cart, but they were street legal. Um, they were an open, you know, like an open air car. I mean, you had, it looked like. Were those, were those like the white round type shape things? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, that's yep. them. They had two seaters and four seaters. 
and um, had a little design designed for the senior communities in uh, Florida and such to run around so you didn't pollute up the uh, community, I guess, yeah, right? I'm, I'm no senior, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you never know. The uh, the daughter got a, her uh, application for the AARP, so I, I don't know what classifies as a senior anymore. She doesn't have her driver's license yet, but she can get her AARP card. You know, it's all about being senior at heart and, and having dinner at 4 o'clock and uh, driving your gem and uh, just, just living life. Playing B- right? well, Driving it to the bingo hall, you know? <laughs> you know, but you bring up a good point, Will, uh, when you talk about, you know, the gem was so expensive to maintain and, and do all that. And that that's really been one of, you know, the f- downfalls of electric vehicles since the late 1800s. Yeah, the yeah. electric vehicles have been around since the 1880s, um, you know, in, you know, in Europe, in America, they've been around. Uh, you know, Ferdinand Porsche developed one of the first hybrids right around 1900, 1901, uh, Semper Vivis. And, but the big downfall has always been because of the battery technology, because of the technology involved, it's, it's always been expensive. Yes, you know, gasoline, internal combustion engines, um, when they first, you know, come out at the turn of the century, are expensive as well because they're new technology. Um, but of course, the petroleum industry takes off, gasoline becomes cheaper, we figure out how to make the engine more reliable, easier to work on, all those things that bring the price down on it. And for some reason, the electric vehicle has has, has had a difficult time getting to that point. Um, yeah, we're seeing, I think, some interesting improvements uh, by people like Elon Musk with Tesla and a few of those, but it's, it's still a struggle for a lot of those companies because of that expensive, uh, you know, nature of, of the beast. Yeah. And, and battery technology is just in the last seven years has just gotten awesome. You know, um, we're taking, we're taking batteries that are tiny and able to put them in places where, you know, in these hot rods where you never dreamed of putting a battery and, and spending over 650 horsepower Hemis. And, you know, that ultimately that's, you know, that's what's driving the, the electric car market too is, is battery technology. Now out of curiosity, well, what, like, what, uh, what are you finding to be the good bat, like the batteries you're using most common? Um, you know, what, what do you find? Not, I'm not saying, you know, brand wise, yeah, but you know, yeah. chemical makeup wise, um, you know, I use a lot of AGM batteries, um, the absorbed glass mat, because I can, you know, especially in the early cars, I can lay them down in, in tight areas and hidden areas where I can kind of run them in. Uh, cause of course, you know, you, you don't really want to run on the old dry cell battery technology anymore. You can, I've done it. Um, but it's a lot easier to use an AGM. But what are you finding for your projects? We're, we're using the lithium ions in most everything. Um, they're lightweight. I mean, they don't weigh nothing. And, um, they're, you know, you can mount them any way you want to mount them upside down, right side up, sideways. Um, you have to get creative on, you know, your hold, your battery hold down and stuff like that. But there's a lot. Hey, you can, you can put them anywhere. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're, we've been leaning towards over the last, you know, two to three years is just some really good lithium ion batteries. 
what Derek was saying a little bit earlier is that when the electric cars came out, they were in the 1880s, 1890s, they were, and it sounds sexist today, but they were really loved by the women because you could go out, you could start them, they were clean, they didn't throw smoke, they didn't throw oil, they were quiet, but the technology wasn't there. And it's something I say quite often that everything we have today, we've already invented, we just have figured out how to do it better. And I think there's a chance now that the electric car might be viable. Uh you know, it's it's technology that's coming along. Uh, as we discuss this, I don't know if Will saw the article in one of the major car magazines. I can't remember which uh, gentleman that uh, went to college just ahead of Will and I in a class did a race uh, two, three years ago from, I believe it was Detroit to New York City yep. in his Model T versus a Tesla. And he only lost by about 30 minutes with a Model T versus a Tesla. But then again, the Tesla made it, which a couple of years ago would be inconceivable. Model T still made it, amazingly, 100 years after it was built. But you know, he only lost by 30 minutes, and that was because of a slight fuel pump issue. Otherwise, <laughs> it was a interest, just an interesting article to throw it back a little bit. And the really interesting thing about that, because you know, the, the gentleman that was driving the Model T and, and the team that was driving are uh, good friends of, I think, all three of us, um, or at least we all know them very well. Now, I forgot you were a co-worker with him. Yeah, on the... <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it, he taught me a lot about of what I know about Model Ts, actually. Um, but if you actually add up the distance traveled by each car and the time, if it was a distance time run, the Model T actually beat the Tesla because it dri- it actually drove more miles in a shorter amount of time than the Tesla did uh but of course they were just doing first car to the end is the winner uh, so it was it was it's it's an interesting way to look at it well that's the typical way of racing you got across the finish line first and yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't matter how you get there just get there first you brought up the baker electrics and things like that what was the technology involved in those Say at the turn of the century, assuming assuming DC current, I don't even know what the voltage was. You know, you know any of the schematics or any of the details that goes back to the, the those. As you start getting into the seventies, you just took anything that you saw and piled in about forty car batteries, twelve volt car batteries, wired them in, and drove twelve miles until you had to plug it back in for a day, and it wasn't didn't make them very viable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much the same back with the Baker Electrics, the Detroit Electrics, the Rauch and Langs, all the early electric cars. You were basically taking your, you know, standard, although I, I will say they used a wet cell technology um, in those, of course, the old glass jar uh, style batteries um, inside wooden boxes that sat in the car. Um, in the under the hood or under the deck lid of the vehicle, um, which were merely you know battery storage compartments, and you had a whole bunch of them all tied together, and you know they were powering a you know a DC motor that would spin you know and and each company had their own um, kind of design Baker and Rauch and Lang because they were in uh, Cleveland used um, L.L. Parker Motors, which was a big electric motor um, company there in Cleveland. 
And if I remember right, they ran on about uh, 94 to 96 volts. So you'd set up your, you know, battery uh, compartment, you know, with the, being able to, to put out about that many volts. Um, you know, we can do that today with just your standard car battery or AGM um, style battery. And the the interesting thing is most of those companies, I know Detroit Electric, Rauch and Lang, and, and the Baker Electric in their early advertising and, uh, you know, your owner's manuals, you know, they, they were very clear that if you had a brand new set of batteries with a full charge in it, um, you could go about 80 to 100 miles on a charge. Now, granted, that was at about 25 to 35 miles an hour. So, um, you know, you weren't, you were, you were going a good distance, just not very fast. And that was like going Denver to Wichita so that you were going downhill most of the way? <laughs> well, if you were going downhill, you could hit 45, you know, so, uh, uh, no, it, yeah, it was, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it, the battery life quickly wore down on those, uh, batteries, um, and, you know, it, it, like I say, battery technology, as, as Will said, it hasn't improved much until about, until about the last decade or so. Um, you know, we haven't seen any major leaps in battery technology and, you know, it, it's like you say in the seventies with the, the commuter car, or the city car, um, you know, they had a lot of problems because kind of like the gym, they were an oversized golf cart and they, you know, were really good on flat land. Um, they were built down in Florida and I think a lot of them wound up out in Kansas and that area um, because they worked really well on flat land. And if you try to go up a hill with them, it doesn't go very well. <laughs> hey, you just think about cell phone batteries, you know, I mean, you get a cell phone battery as long as you charge it up for, you know, four hours a day, they'll last two years and, and run all day long. And uh, I'm on my cell phone a lot. And, you know, it, it, just the, the, just the technology in, in that, you know, is, is astounding in what they've done in, in cell phones in the last couple of years. Now I'm trying to remember my old bag phone from like 1987 or 88, you know, I, I, I still have one of the first cellular bag phones on a shelf. Of course you do, John. Of course you do. Like I'm an aspiring hoarder, I, I do say, but I think that phone that phone's got to weigh 20 pounds, and if I remember right, I might get four or six hours out of the thing. And you're right, my cur current cell phone, uh, I could go two days. I'm mm -hmm. I have to charge it every night because that's just the kind of person I am. And but yeah, you, you get the you get a couple of days out of it, a little bit of use, and unfortunately, way too much talk time. But also very good for listening to podcasts. But have either one of you driven any of the late, newer um, electric cars? I'm fortunate with uh, the real job that we have an association with the local power company. And I just get myself in situations where I get to drive a lot of the new stuff and the variety of electric vehicles and couple of years ago for you know i hadn't driven an electric car in years and i think the last one was a city and then i all of a sudden got into a tesla roadster uh seven or eight years ago and what gets me is what what's wonderful about the electric car 
is if it's set up and programmed right, you know, the 100% torque at, you know, zero RPMs, you can almost lift the front end of the car off the ground if you want to. Um, it's just, you know, the performance is just absolutely amazing when it comes to some of the newer stuff. Oh, yeah, completely agree. And I've uh, I've had the, you know, opportunity to uh, actually I drove a, a first generation Prius um, or for our um, you know British listeners, Prius, um, you know, and that was interesting. Um, you know, the, the first kind of generation technology they were using and, and getting out in that car, um, and then had the opportunity about four years ago, I'd say to ride in a a Tesla. Um, and as John, you know, as you said, it was set up just right. And I mean, the, the torque ability, you know, in that car and, and the performance, is just incredible um, with an electric vehicle, and that's that has been the one, uh, you know, positive in electric vehicles since the very beginning is they have a ton of torque um, at you know zero RPM, you know, at the at the very beginning. Was that a Roadster you you drove, or was that one of the new, the newer Model S's, or? Uh, it was it was a roadster, and unfortunately, I only got to ride. They they wouldn't let oh. me drive it. They didn't trust me, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they can be a handful. Like I said, it, it was amazing to me when they told you know they said yeah go ahead and you know give it a try. And, and you had to be careful doing that to a guy that plays with race cars. But uh, it, it was amazing. I unfortunately haven't had a chance to drive like a a P ninety or a P one hundred Model S with ludicrous mode or anything, but. Heck, that's one of the fastest cars on the planet right now when it's a four-door sedan with, you know, really an iPad and uh, drives itself, literally. So it's the the, techno- you know, the technology, the, the rolling computer, unfortunately, I think I think I put a post up on the uh, No Driving Gloves Instagram page yesterday or so, uh, we'll say recently, not to... That was at the right, you know, with all these self-driving cars. Pretty soon, the country country music songs will uh, be about your truck leaving you, not only your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and and hopefully, if you're nice, you know, maybe it'll decide to come back to you. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it's but. it is you know it's it, all of the technology that's coming out is uh, interesting. I'd say a bit scary sometimes as to what, you know, things are going to turn into. Um, but I think it also provides an interesting opportunity for those of us, um, you know, that either are collectors or restorers or even hot rodders to play around with the new technology. And, and, you know, as we've talked about, electrics have a lot of power. They have a lot of torque. Um, yeah, what could that mean for the future of, you know, for like whale hot rodding or for, you know, any application out there, you know, what, what can we do in the future with it? Well, what I find interesting and what, um, has been a topic of conversation recently because of, uh, some of the vehicles that I'm exposed to is, uh, kind of the long-term thinking, you and I definitely being of the restoration history mindset, Derek. We we have a lot of we've had a lot of conversations, or I've had a lot of conversations recently with 
with buyers and owners of the Porsche 918, the LaFerrari, the McLaren P1 on what do you do with these cars? What are these cars going to be like? I'm not scared of these cars 40, 50 years from now or in the restoration aspect of keeping them running. We, the restoration has always kept up with technology no matter what it is. We had the converse, they've had the conversations, oh, all this fuel-injected stuff, all the ECUs, what do you do when these are no longer available? And the restoration industry's kept up with them. But when you've got a say, a, a brand-new LaFerrari that is treated like a $2 million, $4 million car that's driven once to auction and sat in a garage until it goes to its next auction. What do you do with the batteries? How do you maintain the cars? What's the battery life? Will the batteries be available? Will, what, what's the long-term aspect? And I think it's an interesting thing to consider when you get into the collect. The collector car hobby and the current vehicles are all of a sudden these $4 million Ferraris when they you know they get as old as a 62 GTO and they're 50 years old. Will they be viable and usable cars or will if technology uh, will there if technology dated them too quickly? Um, I think it's it's a concern or it's a thought uh, that I've had with a couple of couple of friends I'm fortunate enough to know that would consider buying a LaFerrari and fortunately use them. But like I say, what happens is this technology or this technology dates itself. Will the restoration industry keep up with it or will it get to that lull? And then we've got to wait 20 years till we figure out how to make the thing run again. So I think, I think it'll be fine to be honest with you, because you can take, I mean, even today, I, this 32 sedan that we, uh, we built last year. I took a battery out of a 56 Ford uh, T-Bird, and I sent it off, and I had it packed in with all of the all of the new goodies and stuff. So you just if you're if you're concerned about the originality look of it, that's what you do. You just pull the batteries out, you send them off, and you have them repackaged with the latest and the greatest uh, battery technology. It looks the same. It's going to perform possibly even better. Um, so, you know, I, I don't see an issue with that. Um, but, you know, it, it some people are down to the core where it needs to be the exact same inside and out. So, you know, I would be concerned if I was, I was that guy. But um, being able to keep it rolling and keeping it driving and, and running properly, I don't it's not so much the originality it's so many of these cars are designed around their battery pack um, you take a porsche 918 for example i think you can watch one of the um, um dream cars how it's made or something and they, they they start with an engine and then they start bolting and gluing pieces onto it including the the carbon fiber chassis that has the battery packs integrated uh, into that's it true. Yeah, you'd, <laughs> so, yeah, you'd have you'd have so, a little bit of an issue there. <laughs> but you know they'll figure it out. I mean they they'll they'll have to they'll figure out carbon repair and you know I, a couple of years ago I was fortunate enough to be at Penske's IndyCar shops and you know their autoclaves and reassembling and repairing carbon fiber. So I'm sure I guess your thinking's correct that we can go you know go back and retrofit it and i guess that goes back to where i said is the restoration industry keeps up and maybe you're giving me a different way of looking at it yeah yeah i mean i think 
the the big challenge that you know kind of I come from the the standing I come from is it's they're going to be an interesting challenge for uh, us in the museum field from the preservation aspect to have these cars in our collections if, you know if we're fortunate to have them um, which hopefully we will because it you know it's great to save them and have them out there for people to see but you know it, not only how do we keep them running in the future all that but what what hazardous uh, material issues are we going to have down the road um, that could do damage to other items in our collections that are around them um, and things like that. So it's, it's also interesting when you look out, you know, at, okay, how are these going to degrade and, and break down over time? And what issues are those going to present not only for the vehicle itself, but for if, if they're in a museum setting for the museum um, and the objects it has along with these cars. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you're right. I mean, what happens if a if a battery explodes? You know, it's just sitting there. I mean, you never know. I want to say that's an existing problem we have with uh, petrol powered vehicles uh, and storage. And uh, this is going to be a topic for another show. But what do you do with fluids? I mean, we we have instances where you know the brake fluid is going to eat through anything, no matter if you've drained the system, taken it out of the system. You've got that. You, you always run the risk of explosions with gasoline and that. So it's just a different. It's a different parameter. It's a uh, it's a different um, set of what do I want to call them? MSDS sheets that we ha- have to have laying around. Different ways of training and thinking. And I think fortunately, if uh, why we're here doing this podcast is maybe to interest some of the younger listeners in in the collector car hobby. And that'll be problems that they face and solve, and you know we'll, we're just beginning to discuss some of those those concerns. Granted, you know the three supercars I mentioned are more of a hybrid with the gas and electric, but it's amazing how spaceship like they are, and the ele- it's not going to be be able to bypass the electric. It's you have to absolutely do do that stuff. But the performance aspects are really there, and I think Derek was kind of alluding to it. Uh, that it could be an interesting aspect building kind of s- street rods or, I mean, I think the technology is even, the electric technology is working its way in with, don't we have uh, electric superchargers and stuff available now that, you know, you don't rob the engine of performance with a belt, that they're they're driven off electric motors or something? Or am I dreaming there, Will? Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh. <laughs> We've went to electric, you know, electric power steering so that we have variable control and things like that. A lot of that's integrating itself in, but Yeah, I'm actually doing electric power steering on a on a car we're building right now. So, it it kind of happened by accident, which is a lot you know how a lot of things happen to be honest with you. Um just called a guy today and he's going to build us a a one-off uh, electric power steering system for this uh, Chevrolet Impala we're building. So, and I, I would love to build uh, a full total electric, you know, street rod, so to speak. Um, I think it would be awesome. Uh, it just, I mean, the technology's there to um, to bring it into the aftermarket, so to speak, in the hot rod industry. Uh, 
And I, you know, I think you could you could do like a you know a pro touring type Camaro uh, muscle car type type build that was an autocross car and go out there and just kill everybody just because of the torque that you could get coming off of a corner, or, you know. And you know that's huge in 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 the hot rod industry right now is autocross. Uh, and with the with the lithium ion battery technology that's out, hell, batteries don't weigh anything. Um, so you're not adding a bunch of weight, unneeded weight. And um, you know, I think you could go out there and really compete and uh, and build a really neat state of the art car, and, and it'd be cool. Yeah, you you said that pro touring, and all of a sudden, it, it's crazy the things we remember and we forget. There's a a local collector to me that a few years ago actually built, I can't remember, 67 or 68 all-electric Mustang and was reasonably successful in the build, uh, ended up being com- further complications, and he didn't want to go on with that development. Um, he kind of plays with Mustangs. So he he pulled all the electric out and uh, ended up building it, building it back with a gasoline motor. But... He, you know, he was experimenting with that, and that had to be four or five years ago. I'm thinking when he had that car kind of out and on the road, and you know, I think in five years we're probably to the technology that if he would have just shelved it for a while and pulled it back out, we might have been able to have a pretty viable car. And to say it's just kind of amazing some of the stuff that you forget when you, you know, surround yourself by this stuff. It was a cool car. I wonder, I've got to have a picture of it somewhere. It, you know, it could have been done then. Um, a, a friend of mine in, in Wichita, Kansas, that we went to school with, um, has a, a Pontiac Fiero that was the world's fastest street legal Fiero for four or five years. <clears throat> and about four or five years ago, he got wiped off the face of the earth with a, <laughs> with a totally electric one. Um, so, you know, it, it, it beat his time. I, I forgot it was, it was at least over a second in the quarter mile. And, um, you know, that was, that was when he called me and told me that I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And, uh, so that, that would be comparing a, like a, a V8 LS powered type Camaro or Fiero to uh all electric Fiero or. I, I I'm not I don't know who we're talking about. We'll it was, have to uh, catch up on that one. Yeah, it was a uh, Ryan Cheney. Um, okay. He he had a uh, it was a turbocharged 3.8 uh, V6 uh, hmm. that uh, that he had it in there, and uh, I mean it would scoop, it would move, and um, yeah, he called me and told me that his record got beat and. I'm like, well, you know, you hadn't raced in a while. And he's like, the thing was electric. I'm like, well, <laughs> get your crap together and, and get it back. At least he didn't have an extension cord following him down the, the strip, right? <laughs> True. He, he didn't well, have a tail. And, and let's not, you know, we can't forget that, you know, the, the earliest really speed records um, when we had the, the advent of the automobile in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Electric and steam uh, cars were setting all of the speed records. It's you know not that different from a time a hundred and some years ago that electrics now that they're getting played with again and figured out are 
possibly going to, you know, wipe the internal combustion engines out in in racing. It'd be interesting to see if uh, I'm sure they have a class in Bonneville for that. You know, I'm I'm sure there's probably somebody out there building one right now. They you know, they actually for, for do that. the the uh, they have electric land speed records as well as alternative fuel and uh, actually the ohio state university has set uh, a couple of the records in both the electric and uh, i believe it's hydrogen fuel uh, land speed um, oh, with cool. the uh, uh, bullet uh, land speed cars that they're building up there mr poteet better watch out he might have an electric car on his heels before he knows it <laughs> I was trying to look that up. Uh, let's see here. Buckeye Bullet has yeah, a top recorded, speed, top recorded speed of 321 and the U.S. electric land speed record at 314.958 miles per hour. It's 508 kilometers per hour. Sounds a lot cooler. <laughs> so <laughs> anything that goes over 500, even if it's kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think George has held the... Uh, the fastest recorded speed at, at Speed Week for the last four or five years in a row with uh, Speed Demon, um, and I think it's a I think it's a V8 turbo turbocharged V8 you know streamliner. See, what was the history of that? The history, Just kind of, of which? Yeah, I was going uh, trying to see if there was anything about. Uh, electric land speed record cars there's really not doesn't seem to be too much even on wikipedia somebody's got to get busy out there <laughs> so well but i think i, I think f- all of it all together you know just seeing what's happening at at bonneville with you know groups like ohio state university and their engineering programs um with electric land speed records and all of this it's it's only going to drive the technology of hybrids and electric vehicles, uh, you know, further and further forward and, you know, uh, you know, make them more viable, um, as the years go by, um, because all of those, you know, especially the colleges that are, are, you know, playing around with the technology, you know, they're creating patents that are, you know, being, you know, the ones that have been created 10 years ago, five years ago, are now being implemented into streetcars. And, you know, it's just advancing the technology more rapidly than I think it's probably ever been advanced throughout history of the automobile. Yeah, I think that's what's going to really drive the electric car is because it's so tied to computers and electronics and the programming aspects of it that a lot of the maker programs and the uh, the engineering programs everything's all cad cam 3d modeling and to me just working electric it it lends to a lot of that the creativity and where the youth is going i mean to be honest it's clean uh at least as far as working you get grease and the wheel bearings and stuff but it's there's no no icky dirty motors and and such no grease under the fingernails it's all done with your laptops and figuring out 
I guess, geometries and physics. And so it, I think the, you know, we might be of that generation with the, the, the creators. I mean, the Edisons of today, you know, you know, I guess Elon Musk with Tesla is, is the, the, the big guy in the room. Um, I mean, you had Fisker that tried it, you know, unfortunately failed, but there's a lot of failures to have a success. And as long as we keep learning from them, um, you know, you know, we look at what Musk has done as, you know, started with a, uh, you know, Internet payment service and made some money. And then I'm going to say he went to his love of cars. I don't know if that's true, but. You know, he did pay a lot of money for the James Bond submarine car so that he, in theory, or he claims he's going to make it a functional submarine. So he must be some sort of car guy at a level. And, you know, Tesla has been, you know, it's the bull in the China shop right now. That's what everybody compares everything to. He's had the money to put behind it and the technology. Um, I might say the Model X is a little bit, over-engineered and might be reaching a little bit too far with the, you know, Falcon wing doors and stuff. But um, if you get on YouTube and that, and you can do like Tesla Model X Christmas display, it's got a little programming that, you know, here's your electric car, but you can have fun with it and the doors flap and the lights flash and tune with certain Christmas music that's pre-programmed into it. So, uh I don't know if either one of you have seen those videos, but it's 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 a new way of, I guess, customizing your car. Uh, I get, you know, getting in and hacking and playing with it and seeing what what can be done. I mean, if Tesla can do it, there's nothing to say that an overzealous uh, engineer can't do a little bit of reprogramming and make it do interesting things. We'll say. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know about all that. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, Christmas music lasts long enough as it is already. I, I won't be playing any of that Yeah, but if you, you got it and you programmed it with some Metallica or anything, um, what am I thinking? <laughs> you, you, at least, you at least get a little bit out of the Christmas season, or if you thought about programming some Halloween music and, you know, the Munsters theme and... The thing opens up with its smoke machine inside and the lights slowly light up. You know, all of a sudden we literally have Christine, I guess. <laughs> I, I do have a programmable Christmas tree that, that dances with the music. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'll say my, my grandfather absolutely loves all those sea battery animatronics at Christmas. So I've got cars and dancing santa clauses and his house is full of them when it comes to the holiday season you know i our our shop is actually on a a pretty big u.s highway and um i submitted uh a charging station for uh to to tesla for a you know a a destination stop um, which is something that anybody can do if you own a business i think it's a great idea um, of course, I, I got denied, but I am in a, a little small bedroom community in northeast Alabama. So, uh, you know, I wasn't really expecting to get uh, for them to put in a charging station. Um, but, you know, if you are a business owner and, and you do like, 
the uh, electric car movement, that's something that you can submit. You just hop on their website, and uh, if you own a business and it, you know it's like just off an interstate or or in a in a pretty major city, um, they'll actually come out and and hire an electrician and, and and put it in and 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 it's a destination for people that own Teslas or pretty much any electric car. So um, you know, two things you might pick up a customer and, a, and another thing is, is you're helping with, with the movement of this. Um, so that was thanks to a good friend of mine that's at, at Baylor right now who introduced me to that. Here we are in our second podcast with this, uh, and we're, we're talking electric. Don't think we're, I don't want to say too green of people, but it's just an amazing technology, and it's kind of a whole difference between from what we were talking um, an episode or so ago about preservation and things and in the history of automobile. Now we're looking at the future of automobiles, and I'm not saying, I don't think any of us are saying that electric is greener or nicer or better. But I think if we look at it as just sheer car people who uh, potentially enjoy some performance, enjoy the engineering, enjoy the aspects of it, I think really think the you know electric movements an extremely influential part part of the hobby, and it it can't be denied. It, it might be the new new. Uh, tuning thing you know a couple you know i want to say late 70s is when the hot you know hot rod japanese cars started the 50s is when we started building hot rods and street rods or late 40s there's always been these revolutions that happen every 30 or 40 years and things change and we might be there i don't think the technology is going away but it's something as car people, we really need to look at and evaluate and uh, not necessarily even knock the guy that shows up at a uh, car show or a car event with a, with a City Electric or a Bradley Electric or a Baker Electric or a Tesla or a Volt because they're into the cars. A uh, couple, couple months ago or so, I was at uh, one of the local maker spaces in town. Uh, just touring it, seeing what they did. And there was a gentleman there, 22, 23 years old, who was building his own high-capacity charger for a Chevrolet Volt that he just bought. And instead of picking on him, which I've been picked on because I even went and test drove a Volt, Volt, you encourage him because that could all of a sudden turn him into a car guy. He's a different car guy than the mainstream guys that, you know, pick up a summit catalog and, uh, watch the shows on Sunday morning. But I, I, part of my support of the hobby is if it's got four wheels and you enjoy it, I don't care if it's electric. I don't care if it's gasoline. I don't care if it's foot powered in the Flintstone mobile. We need to encourage everybody to enjoy this hobby. I, I agree. Uh, yeah. I, go ahead, Derek. Yeah, I I completely agree, and I, I think one of the things to remember, you know, here here comes the history guy in this. Um, you know, when when the automobile first came about, people didn't understand it. People didn't like it. Uh, people that owned them got ridiculed. Um, you know, made fun of. 
you know, the, the cars got called names, whether it was an electric, a gas or a steam, um, because the technology that they knew and that everyone was comfortable with was horses and carriages. Um, and you know, it, new technology and, and new ways of thinking always take time to come on online. And, you know, the other thing we have to remember is that uh, cars in, in whatever fashion they were back then, gas, steam, or electric, were the green option, uh, especially in the large cities because the horse traffic, um, you know, just, it was polluting the cities. And, you know, from the the waste from the horses, the horses that would die in the streets and and be left laying to to basically decay where they were, were causing major diseases uh, within major cities. And the automobile was actually a green source of technology at the turn of the century, turn of the, you know, 1800s into the 19th, you know, 1900s, 19th century to 20th. And, you know, we're just looking at really right now i think another revolution in that fact that you know a lot of people are seeing that you know the internal combustion engine has some issues with pollution and they're looking to go to a greener route a, a more environmental environmentally friendly route and we're looking at you know the idea of electrics and hybrids again and how we can use those to uh, do the same thing they did at the turn of the century to get rid of the horses in the cities. You know, the, the automobile was going to clean up the city. It's kind of funny when you bring that up that we're ta- you talk about horses and that was the comfort level of the late 1800s and we're, everybody was terrified of the horseless carriage and this machine that came roaring through town. And now we're sitting here 120 years later afraid of the car that thinks for itself when 120 years ago the horse kind of thought for itself and was kind of self-driving i mean it it's this a full circle that i guess humanity goes through you know we never know when it's going to occur and how, how you can really look at it but i guess as you were talking that's the odd thing that was going through my head we we didn't want to get away from the technology that would think for itself and could react for itself and now we're kind of do we want the technology to be able to do that again? So it's just kind of an off off thought and kind of here I go 90 degrees from the whole conversation. But Going, going back to what but, you were talking about a little earlier, John, about, um, you know, supporting the car industry as a whole. And I'm, I'm for that wholeheartedly. Um, but a V8, that, that runs through my veins. I will never get away from, you know, a gasoline powered, you know, big block Ford leaving the line at, you know, 7,500 RPMs. There's nothing, you know, there will, there will never be anything that sounds like that or, you know, moves, moves me like that. Um, I'm a hot rider at heart and, uh, you know, gasoline powered V8s to me will, will, will never leave what I do. Um, I would love to play around with electric cars, but, uh, at the end of the day, I'm a, I'm a V8 gasoline guy. <laughs> oh, come on. Haven't you ever heard the sound of a one cylinder Benz? <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I would love to hear it for sure. I think I have a, uh, actual, uh, digital file of that on a computer somewhere. 
a friend of mine's parents in 1958 took delivery of, it had to be a Mercedes 190 sedan, if I'm remembering a story correctly. And they took factory delivery, flew to Germany and got it. You know, it's a big thing to do now, but they actually did it in like 58 or 59. And they were given a 33 LP of all these Mercedes engine noises, hit and miss, and I swear there's a single cylinder, all the way up to the 55 300 SL, cool. uh, which would be a straight six. And I convinced him to lend me the album, and I know I put it all on uh, MP3 somewhere. That was back in the Napster days of my life, um, you know, 2001, 2002. If I can find... <laughs> I don't throw things away. If I can find that PC in my attic, because I don't pull hard drives, I just shelve PCs. <laughs> I'll see if I can uh, maybe throw that uh, soundtrack in at the end after the outro for this. John, if you ever move, don't well, call if, me. <laughs> if if you can't find it, John, I run uh, Ben's Patton Motorwagen replica for the Automotive Hall of Fame, and I have plenty of video of it running um at at different at different shows i've had it oh, at. Cool. so we will get the sound of the one cylinder bends out there i'm gonna say if you've got that shoot me the video and we'll put it on believe it or not even though we're an only audio podcast we do have we do release this podcast on youtube you can listen to it on youtube and watch our gorgeous logo but we could pop up with that video too if uh everything checks out and we can publish it does it sound kind of like a briggs and stratton no, <laughs> that, that that is a very the accurate, way, very accurate answer. answer. I, I like that little delay there, Derek. <laughs> There's probably going to be a choice word, but you thought about it, right? <laughs> yes, we, we're we, keeping it clean. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're a family friendly podcast. <laughs> We've had a, two opportunities to stray from that this show, but we're family friendly. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't know. I think we've had three gasoline guys pretty much chat our way around electric cars, hopefully with some semblance of knowledge. And I had the conversation today with a couple of Ford fanatics um, about the new GT and about the new Raptor and the new new Mustangs and their six-cylinder turbocharged motors and the Mustang dropping the six-cylinder for turbo fours and um, you know, the new Raptor being a 3.5 EcoBoost and the new GT being a 3.5 EcoBoost. We're in a different world now when it comes to cars and performance and everything going turbo. As much as it sounds, I think, you know, Derek's a little bit old school. I'm a little bit old school. And I think Will's right there, too, that, you know, he's never going to give up on his uh, throaty V8. You know, we kind of opened this episode with that throaty V8 sound and... We've got different uh, sound effects to pop in through our various intros. It'd be hard to open it up with an electric car sound. Yeah, well, that's actually what we did on the first episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 what that was the electric car running in the background. It was slightly idling, uh, and I guess maybe as we work our way to a close, we're approaching our. Uh, you know our mark where I like like to cut this off so we can don't you know, over talk it. The uh, my girlfriend right before we started going out, she had one of the posts about not hearing electric cars and them being silent, and there was a lot of talk 
many years ago when we started dating that, you know, electric cars need to make noises. Uh, people can get run over by them. And uh, she even had that conversation about a friend of hers. And I'm going, you know, they are big. You can see them. But I'm a Lotus guy. And Lotus as a car company has never made any money. But their engineering department is always what has kept Lotus Racing and Lotus Cars solvent. And one of their most recent projects is creating soundtracks that will be able to be played through the electric cars, emulating whether they're four cylinders, V8s, depending on throttle input, etc. And I know there's laws either in effect or shortly to become in effect worldwide, and I believe the U.S. is included, where we have to have these sound effects. So what you heard at the beginning of this episode is one of those sound effects that your electric car may soon have, we'll say. Do you guys have anything else, or we'll go ahead and uh, I'll wrap this up, and we'll go on to bigger and better things. I I can go on all night, so uh, we might as well just wrap it up. Derek, are you still there? I think uh, think he dropped out. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, do the outro. I just want to let everybody know that we've created a Patreon page. Uh, It'll help... Help help fund this podcast. You know, we're doing it for fun. We're doing it. If you enjoy it, throw a couple of bucks our way. Well, you know, anything helps. There's some operating cost to this. Uh, so check us out on Patreon. Uh, we've got different uh, reward levels there. Some of those would be personal consultations that kind of go along more with our labor rates. So they're, they're kind of aggressive goals, but there's also, you know, the uh, entry level, and you can get one of the first edition No Driving Gloves uh, stickers or T-shirts, depending where you go. But just wanted to mention that, get that out there. Of course, we're on iTunes, Google Play, uh, said YouTube. I think I've got, we've set up on SoundCloud, so we should be out there for you to listen to anywhere. But I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this evening, and we'll talk to you later. If you have questions or comments, email us at nodrivinggloves at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to No Driving Gloves using your favorite podcast catcher. Follow No Driving Gloves, one word, on Facebook or Instagram. And most of all, please check out our page on Patreon where you can help keep our tires rolling.